Okay, today we're in Genesis chapter 49 and 50. We will, we will conclude our series of messages, our study on the life of this wonderful Old Testament saint by the name of Joseph. Um, I don't know about you, I can't speak for you, but I'll speak for myself that I have thoroughly enjoyed the study and the reading of God's Word and being spoken to through this man, though he is dead, he, his legacy, his life, his testimony uh, are very much alive and preserved. Aren't you glad that God has preserved uh, the Word of God so that we can, so we can read stories like this and for those that are troubled can be encouraged, uh, for those, Lord, uh, here today even that are troubled. May you be encouraged. May your spirit be lifted and buoyed by the reading of God's Word. And also, not, not just the reading, but I pray the Spirit of God would take the principles of the life of Joseph and apply them to our life. Uh, in fact, there are five principles that I want to share with you as we uh, consummate, close out this series of messages on the life of Joseph. We're going to get in those in, in just a moment. But let me uh, take just a moment to recap, to summarize his life and, and as we do, remember, this is, the last, this is the last one. This is the last sermon. And all these words that he speaks, uh, all of them are very important, but especially in chapter 50, I want you to notice with me uh, what Joseph says and how he closes out his life. Well, first of all, he's betrayed as a 17-year-old boy, young teenage uh, young man um, in the land of Canaan. Uh, he is uh, one of uh, 12 of the sons of Jacob. And Joseph, he is the... Uh, he, he's the apple of his father's eye, and he, he, he loves his dad. His dad loves him. And, and we've seen Jacob make some mistakes and show some favoritism toward Joseph, which created some animosity and some jealousy between him and his ten other brothers, the other brother Benjamin's at home. And so sure enough, they are jealous of him, they're mad at him, and they sell him to, slave, to be a slave in Egypt. The Midianite traders pick him up out of the pit. And as far as they know, Joseph no longer exists. He is, he is dead. But as we have studied in God's Word, he is not dead. He is very much alive. In fact, he comes out of the slave market, and he's employed by a man named Potiphar, the chief executioner, uh, the, the main secret service man for Pharaoh. I can just picture him in my mind's eye, this large, raw-boned man, just a strong man in many ways. And he, he takes Joseph, and he employs him in his home. And it seems like Joseph has caught a break. You know, things now are starting to turn around for him, and he finds himself coming out of the valley, and maybe he's going to make his way up to the mountain, and all of a sudden, and through just one false accusation, he goes from the pinnacle of the mountain right back to the dungeon of despair as she accuses him of trying to rape her. Of course, it's a, it's a false, it's a very ludicrous charge, but anyhow, Potiphar says, well, Joseph, because you've done this, I'm going to consign you to prison and just going to put you in there to rot basically for the rest of your life. And so there's Joseph. He really hasn't done anything wrong. In fact, he's trying to do everything right, and he finds himself in a plight in a very difficult place in his life, and yet this is where God will meet him. <clears throat> God will give him a revelation of a dream of, of the butler, remember that, and the baker. And they have these dreams, and Joseph properly and he accurately interprets the dreams, and the but butler goes back to his position of authority at the right hand of Pharaoh, and, and he stays there. He languishes there in prison until Pharaoh has a dream. And Pharaoh's dream consists of, you know, the seven grains of wheat and the seven cows, and nobody, I'm talking about nobody, in all the land of Egypt could rightly interpret the dream. And the butler goes, oh, Eureka, oh, mercy, I, I can't believe I have forgotten. There is a guy in prison, he can interpret your dream. And you know the rest of the story. He does interpret it. And God elevates him, so now he's coming... <laughs> 
You ever felt like that? He's coming out of the dungeon. Now he's back up on the pinnacle and really on the pinnacle to stay. As God uses him to navigate those seven treacherous years of famine, and sure enough, those who come to him are his brothers, the very brothers that betrayed him, sold him into slavery. And Joseph has a good moment here. He has an opportunity before him to extract a pound of flesh out of them, I mean to execute them, to, to have revenge and retaliation against them, but he chooses not to do that. He chooses to honor them and to bless them and bless their dad, Jacob, and he forgives and they are brought together now in the land of Goshen. And so now Joseph is toward the end of his life. Jacob is about to die. He dies, and then we read about Joseph's death. As we look at these uh, principles, these five uh, traits or these salient features from the Word of God that I want you to take with you today, and I do hope they bless you. I hope they encourage you as they have encouraged me greatly this week. Uh, even this morning, early this morning, as I'm studying the Word of God, going over this message and being preached to. I love Him. God preaches to me. He preaches to me first, and then I get to preach the message to you. So the first thing I want to share with you is this. We're going to look at Jacob and Joseph, that death, for the believer, is not final, nor should it even be fearful. And we read in, in Genesis 49, it says in verse 33, And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed and breathed his last, and he was gathered to his people. That's 49:33. And if you flip over to chapter 50 and verse 26, we read of Jacob's death. Now we're going to read of Joseph's death. And now Joseph died being 110 years old. And they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. It's interesting to me that how the Bible describes their death. Not a lot of fanfare, not a lot of uh, emphasis on it. It just says, you know, they lived, and they died, and they were gathered to their people. And, and what we, we know this to be true, that when we die and we are people of faith, we are gathered with God's people, with God's angels, with the heavenly host. And so death is not final. It's the final journey destination point here on this earth, but really that just catapults us into eternity. And Jacob knew God. And so he brings his feet up to his bed. He takes one deep breath. He exhales. And as his physical spirit exhales, I mean the, the, the breath within him, his spirit rises up. And the Bible says he is gathered to God. He's gathered with the people of God. And so Joseph dies in chapter 50. And again, it's just like, it just states it. You know, that's a good word for us because we are born, there is a dash, and we die. That's true for all of us. There's a birth. You ever seen the tombstone? There's a birth date, there's a dash, and then there is a culminating, ending, finality. And what we do in this dash determines where we're going to spend our eternity. What we do in the dash depends on where we're going to live forever, whether it's in heaven above or in hell below. Now, these men of God, these men of faith, we have no doubt it's unequivocal. We know that they, they were not perfect. Who among us is perfect? Nobody's perfect, but they lived a life of faith. They had a relationship with Jehovah, that they loved God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength, loved their neighbor as their self. They had that faith-based relationship. And the Bible says they died and they entered into glory. They entered into the presence of God. And, and by the way, our choices are limited. Let me, let me just say this again. Our choices are very limited. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And we're going to spend forever in one or two destinations. There's no soul sleep. There's no purgatory. There's no second chances. We die 
And based on the way we live, we will enter into our everlasting abode, our everlasting eternity. Now, Dr. Paige Patterson said, what I just said is the most bigoted, let me get my quote right here, the most narrow-minded and bigoted thing a preacher could possibly say, unless it's true. And if it's true, then it's not bigoted, and it's not uh, mean-spirited or narrow-minded. These men died. By the way, we all die. Everybody's going to die. Do you know where you're going to spend eternity? I hope you do. I hope it's with the Lord above. I hope that you are right with God and right with your fellow man. And when you cease, there's no regrets, and you enter into a glory with Jesus and his people. That's point number one. The second one is this. A promise made for the believer is a promise kept. Now, by the way, all five principles, we should preface them with these words, for the believer or for the follower of God, the follower of Christ, a promise made is a promise kept. Now, let's get into the heart of the text, 50. We'll read verses 1 through 14. Are you ready? Here we go. Then Joseph fell on his father's face. Remember, he just died. Jacob just died. And he wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father, so the physicians embalmed Israel. Now, 40 days were required for him, for such are the days required for those who are embalmed, and the Egyptians mourned for him for 70 days. Now, they're, they're honoring him. They're honoring his life. He, he lived a, a lengthy life, uh, for the most part, a, a godly life, but he, he dies. And, and, and Jacob's gone, okay? He, he is gone to glory, but here on this earth, no, notice what happens. Now, when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, and he said, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying. And in my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan, I want you to take me there. There you shall bury me. Now, therefore, please let me go up. And bury my father, and I will come back. Notice that. Remember that promise. Joseph said, please let me go. I will come back. And Pharaoh said, go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. Now I want you to notice in verse 7 what happens. The Egyptians did not know Jacob from Adam, okay? They didn't know who Adam, I mean, they, they didn't know who Jacob was. But they are going to honor Joseph. And watch the way they honor him. Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of Pharaoh's house. Now watch this. All the elders of the land of Egypt. I don't know how many hundreds that is. Hundreds of people are going to form this entourage. They're going to make their way 250 miles, a three-week journey, and they're all in the shadow of Joseph because they're honoring Joseph. They're thanking God for Joseph. Because he has saved, their, he saved every one of their lives through his guidance through the famine. And his dad has died and Joseph is weeping. And so the people rally around him. I mean, they love this guy. They love Joseph. He has lived this kind of life. He has exhibited great integrity and great leadership. And the people of Egypt, the leaders, gather around him. Not only that, verse 8 says, as well as all the house of Joseph, his brothers, his father's house, only their little ones, their flocks, and their herds did they leave in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots. <laughs> Come on now. Now we got chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great gathering. And I submit to you today, I'm, I'm going to read verse 10 just a minute. I submit to you today, this is because of the life of Joseph. 
Now, Jacob, they, they really don't know Jacob, but they know Joseph. You know, I want to live my life in such a way that somebody will have something good to say at my funeral. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, and I also had a pastor friend of mine say, make sure you spend most of your time with those who will attend your funeral. Because those are the ones, that, that's usually, you know, your, your, your wife, you know, and your kids and your grandkids. Make sure you spend most of your time with them. Well, Joseph lived that kind of life. And it's so encouraging to see the blessing and the favor of God upon him in the twilight. Now, it kind of the ending up towards his life. And in verse 10 says, Then they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan. Now we're in Palestine, okay? Now we're in Canaan. And they mourned there with a great and very solemn lamentation. He observed seven days of mourning for his father. Now watch this. And when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, those are the arch enemies of Israel, remember that? They will be. The Canaanites saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, and they said, this is a deep mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore its name was called Abel Mizraim, which means beyond the Jordan. So his sons did for him just as he had commanded them. Please note that. Promise made, promise kept. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite as property for a burial place. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt. He and his brothers and all went who went with him to bury his father. A promise made uh, is a promise kept. There are three promises just in this pericope, in this narrative of Scripture in chapter 50, verses 1 through 14. Let me just mention them to you briefly. The first promise at the end of, verse, of chapter 47, Joseph promised to his dad, he said, Dad, when you die, I'm not going to let you leave, leave you here in Egypt. I'm going to take you and bury your bones in the land of Canaan. Now here we are, chapters 49 and 50, true to his word. Joseph takes the initiative, and he says, I'm going to honor my dad's final wishes. I'm going to honor my dad's legacy. And dad is dead. His spirit is gone. I mean, he is gone to be with God, but I'm going to honor him. I'm going to take him to Canaan, and he did. Promise number two, at the end of Genesis 49, Jacob asked his sons, all of them, please bury me in the land of promise and true to their word. They joined Joseph they made a commitment, and they helped out getting their dad to the land, getting his deceased body to the land of Canaan. And then one more promise. This one's easy to miss, but let's read it carefully in, in verse 5. Joseph says, uh, Pharaoh, if it's okay with you, I'd like to leave, take an extended sabbatic, if you will. I, I need to take care of some family business. And if it's okay with you, do y'all see the humility and the, almost the contrition as the way he approaches Pharaoh? And he says, uh, if it's okay with you, I, I want to take, uh, take my deceased father's body and I want to bury him in our promised land, the land of Abraham and Isaac and him, Jacob. And, and if you would just give me this extended leave of absence, I'd be ever so grateful. Will you let me? And Pharaoh says, absolutely. And Joseph says, by the way, I will come back. I will return. Now, I think there was going to be a real valid temptation for him not to return. I mean, after all, he is out of Egypt now. And Joseph is in the land of promise. He knows this is the land that God had given his forebears, and this is the land that God's going to do an enormous work. And maybe Joseph's thinking, well, Lord, <clears throat> you know, maybe I've served my time. I did what I was supposed to do, you know, back in Egypt. And and Lord, maybe it's okay to just tell a little white lie. I mean, Pharaoh won't get too mad. By the way, I mean, he's got, I've got all these leaders here with me. So, 
So, Lord, just, I know you'll understand, so I'm just going to stay right here. And he didn't do that. You know why? He's too much a man of integrity. A promise made for the child of God is a promise kept. So I want to address the people of God for a moment. You, the child of God, how are you in keeping your promises? When, when circumstances change, when you initially made your promise, will you still keep your promise? When it involves loss of face, when it involves financial hardship, when it involves some very difficult times for you, will you still do what you said you would do? And I know I'm preaching to the choir. I know most of you would say, absolutely. Um, on my honor, on my integrity, I would do this. Joseph, by the way, is the personification of grace and forgiveness and integrity. A true story, a man by the name of Mark Maureen, he tells the story of um, his two sons. He has two boys. Can you believe it? Their names are Peter and Paul. And uh, him and his wife, um, they, they were going to their Bible study. I think it was like on a Tuesday night Bible study, home study group. And earlier that day, um, you know, he'd spent a little bit of time with his kids, but, um, but you know, they, they were just in a hurry. And so they got the babysitter got the kids taken care of, and then they took off to their Bible study, and it lasted for a couple of hours. And by the time they got home, you know, the kids were already in bed. It's probably 9.30, something like that. And so uh, being a good dad, and I, I'm, I'm, I'd love these times. I'm going to miss these times. I, I'd love going into the kids' bedrooms, you know, and, and just peeking in on them and just praying over them. And sure enough, when he peeked in, Peter said, hey, Dad. And he's like, oh, you're awake. He said, yeah. He said, let's go get some ice cream. And, and, and Mark said to his son, Peter, he said, boy, have you lost your mind? He said, well, go get ice cream. It's, it's, it's almost 10 o'clock at night. You need to go back. He said, but Dad, you promised. And Mark thought, wait a minute. That's, he's exactly right. Earlier in the day when they were rushing and, and getting busy, uh, Peter asked Dad, he said, Dad, Mark, can I, have some, uh, can I have some ice cream? And he goes, son, he says, we're out of ice cream. I'm in a hurry, but I promise tonight when I get home, I'll give you some ice cream. He had forgotten all about it. <laughs> that boy hadn't forgotten any of it. Oh, he was having dreams of chocolate vanilla swirling in his little mind, right? And so Mark Morin did something I think is, is, is very, very powerful. He looked at his son and he said, son, you're right. I made a promise to you that tonight we were going to eat, or sometime today, we were going to eat ice cream. Get your clothes on. We're going to the grocery store. And they did. Went to the grocery store, and the wife's over there. She's just shaking her head going, they're going to be juiced up all night. They're going to have sugar in their veins. They're never, neither one of them going to sleep. And he went to the grocery store, came back, and he said, my son and I, we sat down, had a big old bowl of ice cream. A promise made. It's got to be a promise that we got to keep. Story encouraged me, reminded me sometimes circumstances change. I may forget or things may be hard and it's going to cost me. But if we make a promise, let us keep it. The third principle I want to share with you from this narrative of Joseph, this final one, I find myself almost in hermeneutical mourning. I find myself just kind of sad uh, that we've wrapped up this study. It's only been 17 sermons, amen? But uh, compared to Revelation, it's a brief study, right? Third, forgiveness overpowers revenge and bitterness every time. Forgiveness overpowers revenge and bitterness. L let me read to you chapter 50, verses 15 through 19. Okay? 
Now, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us, and he may actually repay us for the evil which we did to him. Now, remember, church, this is years ago. Joseph is, I mean, he is well into his years living, and those brothers... They have this thought. They said, oh my, Jacob's dad, the only reason he's kept us around is because of dad. Oh no, we've buried dad now. The hatchet's going to fall. I mean, he's going to repay us for what we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph. Those brothers did. I, I believe 10 of them did. I don't think Benjamin had anything to do with this. I think that the 10 said, okay, go to jo let's go and say, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, Please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. Now, let me stop right there just a minute. I, I really don't know if Jacob ever said that or not. I kind of believe maybe he didn't. I believe they're just making this up to say, Oh, Dad said, man, please don't kill us, don't execute us, don't, you know, don't extract from us you know, revenge and penalty. Because, you know, Dad said, take it easy on the hillboys. I mean, they're just, they're just your brothers after all. I don't think Jacob ever said that, but I love what Joseph did. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Let me just say, you know why? He had already forgiven them. It's in the past. He had forgiven them. They brought it up. And he's just weeping over it like, no, guys, do you not know me by now? No, I'm not like that. No, I'm not going to execute you. No, no, no. Then his brothers, oh, these brothers went, fell down before him and said, oh, behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, I love this, do not be afraid. That's one of 365 times in the Bible, as we've said before, one for every day. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. For am I in the place of God? So once again, Joseph is going to demonstrate to us that um, forgiveness overpowers revenge and bitterness. Now, in a weak moment, he, he could have. And he could have said, no, I'm going to bring this back up and I'm going, to, I'm going to repay you boys. But he doesn't because he has genuinely forgiven them. Do not be afraid. He reminds me of Romans 12, 19 where it says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Thus says the Lord. But what if you were in a similar situation? L let me just give you a hypothetical situation. Let's say that you have a boss. And he is the worst boss in the history of bossing, okay? He, he's just not a good boss. And for 15 years, he's tortured you, basically. He's made fun of you. He's uh, not a raise, my word, no raise, no promotion, no honor, no recognition. You've done nothing to him. You've... You, You've been a good soldier. You've been a good employee. And he's been an awful boss. And there's a buyout. A company comes in and buys the company that, that you're a part of. And things reverse. Your boss now, in, in a strange turn of circumstances, your boss now becomes your employee. And you're the boss. Can I just ask you a question? What are you going to do? Some of you are going, I know what I'm going to do, man. Payback is rough, man. I, I'm going to get this guy for, woo -hoo -hoo, look at here, look at here. Well, that's where Joseph is, and Joseph says, it's, that, that's not even an option to me. I've, I've already forgiven. I mean, why, why would I want to do that? And it reminded me of that quote from that movie. Um, can't even remember the name of it, Ashley. The movie, 
we cried like babies in, the, in that movie, The Light Between Two Oceans or something like that. And, and that guy says, man, I, I got to forgive. He said, forgive? I only have to forgive once. But if I, if I remember and I have to do revenge, I got to do that every day. <laughs> and that takes too much energy. Forgiveness always wins. It overpowers bitterness and revenge. Larry Lee, in a, in a message I heard one time, he said, when offense comes, and they will come, please do not nurse it, because that's a pity party, rehearse it, because that's gossip, or curse it, because then you're playing the blame game. Instead, give it over to God and let Him disperse it as only He can, and He will reverse it. That's a good word. It's called a smattering of applause. That's good. I like that. <laughs> Can I say that again? Can I just read that to you all again? When offense comes, we have an option. Uh, he says, please don't do this. Don't nurse it, the offense, because if you do, that just becomes a pity party. Number two, he says, don't curse it, because that's where you're going to be blaming, you're going to be caught up in the blame game. And he said, don't rehearse it. Because when you do that, that just involves gossiping about it. Instead, Pastor Larry Lee said, disperse it to God. That means just give it over to God, and then God will reverse it. In other words, God will take care of it. The fourth thing I want to share with you, and this is the apex, really. This is the pinnacle, this is the high water mark of all of our preaching in the book of Genesis. For me, this is the one that means the most to me, and I hope it encourages you. And it's number four, God works all things for good. God works all things for good. Let's look at verse 20. Verse 20, so powerful. Remember the context. He is talking to his brothers. I'm not, I'm not God. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to execute you and do revenge on you. But as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. In order to bring it about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. That's one of the most profound verses in any literature. It's one of the most profound verses in all the Bible. Because Joseph, this portrait of forgiveness, this portrait of grace and integrity, he looks upon, at one time they were his antagonist. At one time, they deeply betrayed him and they threw him into the pit and sold him to, to be a slave and forget him. Good riddance. We're done with him. And they pretended that he had died. I mean, they, they took his little coat of many colors and they, uh, they ripped it apart and they dipped it in blood and they showed it to their dad and said, Oh, Dad, sorry, Joseph, he, oh, let's just mourn for Joseph. Joseph's dead. And so, and, you know, all of those things. I mean, but Joseph, he is forgiven. And, and he looks at his brothers and he says, Yes. You meant that for evil. And by the way, you, you ought to call it what it is. When people do you harm, I mean, I don't know if you've noticed how many times in this, in this passage it talks about uh, evil and wickedness and, and betrayal, those things you did to me, but God. I love that conjunction. What's your function? It's going to tell us. God, but God. I, I wish all of us could do that. I wish all of us, when we are betrayed or when we're offended and, and when people let us down, I, I wish we could interject this. Yes, that hurt, and yes, you meant it to hurt, but God is in control. And God, you know, by the way, gentlemen, don't be fearful. Don't even beat yourself up because it was God's 
will. It was God's will that I get here and be in charge. And God can take the worst that man can offer and the worst that, God, that man can do, and God can work it all out for the good of the person and for the glory of God himself. Now, I don't understand. No. I don't understand. Why? We said, well, Brother Dan, why did that happen? Why did that? that was so harsh. I mean, his own brother, was that God's will that his brothers be mean and betray him? And No. It's never God's will to condone wickedness. But it's God's will that Joseph gets to Egypt so that he can save the entire planet, if you will. And if God chooses to allow him to go through the furnace, then blessed be God. Blessed be God. It's his sovereign. It's his sovereignty. It's his providence. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I appreciate the sovereignty, the providence of Almighty God. No, I don't understand. I wish I could, church. I'm sorry. You can email me if you want to. I'm just not going to respond. I'm going to respond and say, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. don't. Why did I get cancer, Brother Danny? For heaven's sake, why? Well, why did I lose my job? I mean, come on. Why did it take me three years to get a job? I mean, where is God in all of that? And all I can say is some may mean it for evil, but God's going to work it for your good. God works all things together for our good. So Genesis 50:20 is the Romans 8:28 of the Old Testament, right? And we know that God works anybody? All things. All things. Now I'm going to be honest with you. you. You may and I may not get to see it completely till heaven. And you got to be good with that. And I've got to be good with that. But that's okay. I'm getting good with it, Doug. I'm not really completely good with it, but I'm getting good with it. God's so patient with me. He's going to work all things together for good to those who love Him. And you love Him, and I know you love Him. To those who are the called according to His purpose. When bad things happen, sometimes it just takes time. Maybe... It'll even take eternity for us to figure it out. I have a lot of notes here, and I'm just going to skip them and just share something with you that I put in my notes early this morning. So I'm skipping some notes, but I'm adding some other notes, okay? So. Right now in our church, I am praying. I am praying for your family. And many people are praying for your family, Brandon. Many, many of you walk through the chase, the family, and what they've gone through over these last few weeks have been nothing short of incredible difficulty. When they packed their bags, he took a new job to move to Carolina, and she's diagnosed with breast cancer. I mean, what? You know, I can, I'm sure they can say, God, what is the deal? I mean, we, we're moving, we've taken a job, and, 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 and all we can tell them, and as I've prayed with Kim and I've talked to her, and I've just shared and said, God's got this. Somehow God's going to bring this about for his good. So they've unpacked. And they're staying. That's really, that's really amazing. And she's going to go to MD Anderson. And so how's this going to work out? I don't, I don't know. I just know God's in control and God's going to take care of it. There's, there's another lady I met with this week. She's got a very difficult decision to make. And uh, she, a lot of times I know people set up appointments with me. I'm like, oh, God, help me because they're going to ask me something that, listen, if you didn't need me, need God's help, you wouldn't be asking, right? So I told her, I said, listen, if we didn't need God, we wouldn't be having this meeting. 
And I didn't know the answer. And I'm still praying, by the way, and I'm, I just don't know what you're going to do. And I, I don't know how to advise you because it's a very difficult situation. And she, as the owner of the business, has to make this decision. And so, I don't know about y'all, maybe this is a weakness of mine, but when I, when I get involved in stuff like that, it, it really gets on me. And I can't shake that. I, and, and maybe God didn't want me to shake it. Maybe God just wants me to wallow around in it with you like little, two little pigs in mud. We all get muddy, all right? We just get muddy together, and, and we just walk with God together, and then just praise God when you come out of it. And you will come out of it. One way or the other, you're going to come out of it. God be praised. He works all things together for good. I mean, even our finances. You know, we're looking for six weeks in a row, God. We even come close to reaching the bare minimum of $60,000. I don't know if y'all sleep on that. I don't sleep good on that. I like Benadryl, amen. Melatonin. And then when I'm really stressed, I take something else with it. And not a hot toddy. Don't get worried about that. I ain't doing that. <laughs> An ambient. But I sleep. I mean, this, this stuff keeps me up at night. And, and you're like, don't worry about it, Brother Danny. It'll all work out in the end. Our people always wait to the end. Wait, wait, don't wait to the end. It's freaking me out. Don't wait until the end. I mean, well, come on, help us out. We, we, we want to make budget. We want our pastors to get paid. I, I don't want to go through 2012 again. I don't want to go through 2012 again. I don't want to lay people off. I don't want to be stressed out. So, y'all, if you love the church, you love God, give. If not, I'll pray for you. Amen. Help us. <laughs> and, and God says, don't worry about it. I'm, I'm going to take care of it. So I'm just being real with you. I'm just being very transparent with you. I, I do get nervous about it. And, and I read these quotes, and they help me. Let me read them to you. God is too good and wise to be unkind. How about this old song? Y'all remember this? You may not know how, you may not know when, but God will. Anybody? Do it again. And then I shared this with our prayer guys this morning. It says, uh, David Jeremiah says, Even the dark thread in the tapestry provides beauty to the overall product. That's a good word. I'm preaching a lot better than I'm living right now. Because I know we're not supposed to worry, and I know we're to give it over to God. And God's just been being patient with me, and I'm, and I'm grateful. The last thing I want to share with you is bless others and receive blessings. And this is how we'll finish Genesis chapter 50, all right? Verse 21 through 26. And it says, Now therefore do not be afraid. I'm going to provide for you and your little ones. And Joseph comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Remember now, them's the brothers. And so Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw, oh, watch this blessing, y'all. He's going to get to see his great-grandkids. What a blessing. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. Remember, Ephraim and Manasseh are his sons. And he gets to see his son's son's sons, all right? And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you. And, and, and again, it's just like, I'm, I'm dying. It's just what you do. <laughs> like Jacob, pulling my feet up and dying. This is, this is what happens to everybody. You die and you go, you know? It's just, it's not this big fanfare. It's final. 
But it's not fearful. I don't see Joseph going, oh, no, oh, God, help me. I'm about to die. And he says, no, I'm dying. Guys, I'm dying. But God's going to take care of you, and he's going to bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel and, and said, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. What a man. Man, what a guy. He's dying, and he's blessing them. He's encouraging them. And Joseph died, being 110 years of age, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And there it is. He blesses to the very end. And he's such, a, he's such an example to me. I, I want to be like Joseph, even in my dying days. Notice in verse 21, he says, I'm going to provide. I'm going to make sure provisions are for your little ones. The Hebrew word there means to feed them, to nourish them, to sustain them. In verse 21, he spoke kindly to them. Verse 24 and 25, he reminded them, God's going to take care of you. God is going to visit you. Joseph shows us that one of the key traits of God's children is we bless. We bless, bless others. We financially bless others. We spiritually bless. We socially bless. We, we bless them with our words. We bless them with our deeds. And, and as we do that, God richly blesses us. So let me give you these five one more time. Then I'm going to pray for us. Have our invitation. Number one, death's not final and neither is it fearful for the child of God. Number two, when we make a promise, can I just ask you all again, if you make a promise to God, will you keep your promise? A promise made is a promise kept. Number three, forgiveness wins over revenge and bitterness every time. Number four, God works all things together for good. Number five, God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the principles contained therein. Thank you, Lord, we could take our little pickaxes this morning and just go digging for those jewels and those diamonds and those gold nuggets that you tuck away in your word. Lord, we may just read this as a story about a family and betrayal and all things work good, but no, God, there's more to it. Lots of principles there for us, and we thank you for preserving your word so that we could be nourished, Lord, and blessed. I, I want to go back, Lord, and just pray for us as a church. I pray for... Chase family, and I pray for others, Lord, who are in the valley of decision. I pray, God, for those that really do not know how this is going to turn out. Lord, they don't know if it's going to get worse before it gets better or it's about to get better soon. But, Lord, I just enter in this valley with them, and I'm going to hold their arms up. I'm going to be praying for them, letting them know they're not alone. God, sometimes I really think you don't, you're not so much concerned if we know the answer. You're just concerned if we're there. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for the love and the provision you have for your children. Thank you, God, that you love your kids. And we have never seen the righteous forsaken. Lord, we've never seen his seed begging for bread. So we're just going to go ahead and thank you in advance, God, for what you've done and what you're, what you're going to do, God. We thank you. Maybe you're here today and your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. You're in a, you know, just prostrate before God in prayer and Maybe this message has really spoken to you. Maybe there's some things that you just need to turn over to the Lord. And maybe there's some things I need to turn over to the Lord, like our finances. And just say, God, it's yours. And God, help us. And God, I've got to trust you. I can't force anybody to do anything. God, i just got to trust you. And you, you can't either. Can I encourage you with your family? Can I encourage you with your marriage for just a minute?
or with your job and your finances? Or can I encourage you in a moment now with your old ugly boss you got? Mean boss. Can I encourage you with this? Buy some ice cream in Jesus' name. Buy some ice cream. Keep your promise. Maybe you need to come forward today and just pray. Pray at the altar. Pray with somebody, a deacon, maybe a connect group leader, maybe a staff member, and just help turn those burdens over to the Lord and let the Lord help. You know, I, you know it's very interesting to me. I, I, I love Christian music, and it seems like almost all of Christian music is written from the standpoint of God help me. Lord, help, please help. Now, there's a reason for that, because as God's children, as Peter teaches us, this is not our home, so there's going to be conflict. And we're going to bump into things and bump into people, and, and we're going to need God. So, God, we need you. Let me just say, Lord, I need you. I need you, Lord. Our church needs you, and we're just asking you for miracles upon miracles. And I just so much thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you in advance. If you're here today, my friend, you need to unite with our church. God bless you. Step out on faith. Come forward. Let us help you. If you need to Follow Christ in believers' baptism. Let me encourage you to do that. I, I've seen it so many times in my life. God, He puts it on your heart to be baptized. And until you do it, until you do it, there's really not a lot of peace. I mean, He's really wanting you to identify with Him and His people. Or you're here today and you'd say, Man, I'm not a believer. I'm not a person of faith. There's never been a time when I've confessed my sins to Jesus and asked for forgiveness. And I want to encourage you today to do that. Don't wait. Listen, get that dash going. Get it going in the right direction because that day's a coming. The day when you stand before Almighty God. And so know the Son of God. Know the peace of God. Start living for God and preparing for eternity. So, Lord, I close this prayer and I thank you. Thank you for what you're about to do. And I thank you, Lord, for our people. We love our people, God. I love Great Hills. I love, Lord, what you're doing here. And I love, Lord, how you deliver us. And we're asking you to do it again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.